All right. You need to grab that coffee. Come hang a, have a seat. Get your, um, get your Bibles out. Uh, get out your phone, your iPad, whatever device you use. Um, we are in this series called Shift. This is our fourth week in this series called Shift. We're in Luke 19 and 20. Um, usually what we try to do is give you a recap of all that we've talked about to this point, but can I just say that there's way too much to recap, so the best thing you can do if you've missed weeks is go to our website, thegatheringnow.com, and there are all the videos from all the previous weeks are on there. They'd be well worth your time to go back and take a peek. Um, we've actually been taking pretty big chunks of Scripture. Like last week, Phil had like this huge chunk of Scripture talking about the triumphal entry. Um, this morning, we're just going to look at four verses, but I made up for it by having huge chunks of Scriptures other places that we'll be reading. So um, find Luke chapter 19. We're going to be in verses 45 to 48. Uh, listen, here's the thing you, you need to know. As the tension is growing between Jesus and the religious leaders, we've seen this, right, as we go through Luke. Like, they were kind of ignoring him, but now they start, like, digging at him, and now he's kind of engaging them, and it's all building to the cross, right? It's all building as he steps into Jerusalem. Um, that there, There's a lot of animosity. They're going to rile up the people to, to say crucify him. But this is what's been building for quite some time. And in our passage today, Jesus is going to double down on the mission by kicking them out of church. That's what's going to happen today. I know you're like, I don't think that's even in the Bible, but it is, I promise. Um, and here's why he does it, because they had taken church, we, what we call church, they called the temple, they had taken that in a completely different direction than what his mission was. Okay, so Jesus is going to step in and he's going to shift things today by kicking them out. Let me read it to you. Luke chapter 19, uh, verses 45 through 48. It'll be on the screens as well. Here we go. On the screen. I just said screens, but there's one. You didn't need to know that. I'm sorry. Okay. Then Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people selling animals for sacrifices. If you don't know what that means, we're going to come back to it and explain it. Verse 46. And he said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. After that, he taught daily in the temple, but the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the other leaders of the people began planning how to kill him. But they could, they could think of nothing because all the people hung on every word he said. Now, let's just take this practically, okay? Let's walk through this, this passage. The first thing that Jesus does is he deals with culture vultures, okay? If you're taking notes Write down, deal with culture vultures. You could put a question mark next to it like, what in the heck does that mean? I'm going to explain it, okay? Deal with culture vultures. Culture vulture for me is, um, it sounds weird, but here's what I mean by it. It's the people who eat away at the culture until it's dead, and then they feed off of that death. And that's what the religious leaders were doing. Um, vultures, I don't know how much you know about vultures. Uh, this will not be like a... A, a school lesson, but vultures are birds of prey. So we're talking, have you ever heard of predatory lending? Oh, this is a fun group this morning. Yeah, so like people don't want to raise their hand. Like I haven't just heard of it. I've experienced it, right? So like, but like if you know what a predator is, I, I, I almost brought, because, um, but I don't know like what your gag reflexes are. I don't know who, I, Michelle would be laughing if I brought this picture, this video. I almost brought a video so you could watch a predator eat its prey, right? But some of y'all have been like, Ooh, 
and then and then like again, Michelle be like, that's hilarious, that's awesome. Um, and some of you also that laugh inappropriately, but but I didn't bring that because I didn't want to just gross you out at the beginning. But you know, you can go home and you can just like get on Google and look at like Nat Geo, and you can see all kinds of footage of like a predatory animal catching its prey and then taking care of it. And when Jesus stepped into into the temple, he noticed that those kind of practices were taking place. That this was these were people preying on the people that they were supposed to be praying for. Vultures are birds of prey. These leaders were preying on the people that were coming to the temple. Here's how they were preying on the people. Can you imagine listening to this podcast later, and every time I say pray, they'll be like, is that with an E or an A? I'm not sure exactly. We're talking about the E right now, okay? Here's how they were praying with an E on the people. Number one, they were exchanging unapproved money for approved temple money. That was actually acceptable. So when people came to the temple, they would have to give approved temple money in the temple. And so just think of yourself like, you know, going to India, you got to exchange your money for the money and currency in India. So that's kind of what would take place in, in back in the day is people would come and they'd bring their money. They would exchange it into temple money that could then be used in the temple, right? We don't have time to go into all the reasons why that would have to happen, but that's what was happening. So they're exchanging that money. There was nothing necessarily wrong with it, but there were two things they were doing that caused Jesus to kick them out. Here's the first thing they were doing. They were cheating people by charging more than was necessary for sacrificial animals. Don't have time to go into all of Leviticus 12, but if you go all the way back to Leviticus 12, here's what you'll find. Instructions about what to bring to church for your offering. I am so glad we don't live in Leviticus 12, right? I mean, like, the only animal that I like to see come to church are John's dogs, right? John and Carolyn, they, they train seeing eye dogs and guide dogs, and I love it when they come. But, I mean, I don't know what we would do. There's no way Tiffany would let us use this space if all of you were dragging in bulls and cows and heifers, and then we were killing them, right? Like, it's, it would not just be a little dirty. It would be, it would be awful, right? And she'd be like, find another place to have church. And some of you would be like, but I, don't, I can't even afford a heifer. That's a, a phrase you never thought you'd say. <laughs> I can't afford a heifer, right? So the Bible took care of those people. They took care of the poor, the poor women who could not afford to buy and bring that kind of a sacrifice. Leviticus 12 says, here's what we'll do for you. You can just bring two doves or two pigeons. You heard the Christmas song, Two Turtle Doves? That's where it comes from. Right? I mean, they weren't singing it as they went to the temple, but two turtle doves are the offerings that a poor woman could bring. And here's what was happening in this temple. The money changers drove up the cost of birds so that even the poor women couldn't afford to buy them because they knew that they had to buy them, and so they drove the price up. Supply, demand, corruption. According to the Jewish Mishnah, the market for birds had risen so much that the poor women could no longer afford them. You know what the result of that was? Poor women could not offer sacrifices. Translation, in the system that they're in, they couldn't worship. That'll tick Jesus off. Just so making sure you understand how this works, right? Because some of you are like, Jesus did what? He drove people out of the temple. Wait, what? I thought he was like loving and kind. He was, and also not afraid to 
kick people out because they were cheating the women. Second, well, let me read this. Another thing from Jewish history. Jewish history records that the high priests who walked in the temple courts were despised by the people because of their brutality and their hunger for money. This is what Jesus stepped into. Here's the second reason why Jesus reacted, responded the way that he did. History records that the money changers were doing all of this in the Gentile court. Now, someday we'll do a series and we'll talk about the way the temple was designed and everything had a place. But just for right now, accept this, okay? So there was an outer court for all the women and the children, and then there was a Gentile court which is where Gentiles, and if you're not like a full-blooded Jew, you're a Gentile, I'm a Gentile, we would all be in the Gentile court. That was as far in as we were allowed to get to. And then there was the, the court where the Jews would go, and then there's like the Holy of Holies where the priests would go, right? So you're just kind of working your way in a little bit at a time. Now check this out. The money changers, the culture vultures, the money changers, they would set up shop in the Gentile court. But not to exchange money for Gentiles because the Gentiles couldn't go in for a sacrifice. They were exchanging money for Jews in the Gentile court. So guess what the Gentiles couldn't do? Worship. Because the Jews took it over to cheat the Jews. Now you're Jesus. You've already said in Luke 19.10 that the reason you came was to seek and save the lost. And you step into a temple, and they're treating loss like that. How do you react? I would hope we would react very similarly to what Jesus did. He didn't go, oh, these people, they just, uh, I'll just kind of leave it to them. They'll work it out. No, he dealt with culture vultures. You know why? Because he says to them, hold up. This is not what this was intended to be. This was intended to be a house of prayer, and you've changed the culture. You've eaten away at that culture of prayer, and you've replaced it with a culture of predatory actions. And because of that, you're a culture vulture, and there's no place for you here. Out. If you read some of the other um, accounts and some of the other gospels, this Luke is pretty tame, actually. It talks about Jesus, like, turning over tables. I mean, can you just imagine that? think there might be a whip involved. I mean, he's just like not putting up with this at all. Can I just say this? We would probably be better off if we actually dealt with culture vultures. If we actually said, this is not the way it was intended to be. You have jacked up the entire culture. And we're going to deal with that. Jesus walked in, and here's how he dealt with it. He quoted two Old Testament texts as he drives them out. That's, man, that's my kind of preacher right there, right? He's quoting the Bible as he's showing you the door, right? It's crazy. We don't think of Jesus like that. He's telling him, here's why you have to go. And it's not because I feel a certain way or don't you know I'm going to die on a cross and you're not valuing me. And No, it's because this is what the Word of God says. This is what you're doing. And he quotes it to them as they go out. So we're going to take a little bit of time and spend um, in these two Old Testament texts, okay? So first, let's talk about this phrase. And I know in our text it goes house of prayer and then den of thieves. But we're going to look at den of thieves first, okay? So keep your finger in Luke and turn to Jeremiah chapter 7, okay? Because 
The phrase den of thieves is found in Jeremiah 7, verse 11. But we're going to read the whole thing, okay? So Jeremiah 7, Jeremiah is a prophet, and he speaks in the temple, okay? Jesus is cleaning out the temple, and, and Jeremiah is speaking in the temple. And here's what he says. The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah, and he said, Go to the entrance of the Lord's temple and give this message to the people. So basically, go stand up in front of all the people and say this. Oh, Judah, listen to this message from the Lord. Listen to it, all of you who worship here. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Even now, if you quit your evil ways, I will let you stay in your own land. But don't be fooled by those who promise you safety simply because the Lord's temple is here. They chant, the Lord's temple is here, the Lord's temple is here, but I will be merciful only if you stop your evil thoughts and deeds and start treating each other with justice. Only if you stop exploiting foreigners, orphans, and widows. Only if you stop murdering and only if you stop harming yourselves by worshiping idols. Then I will let you stay in this land that I gave to your ancestors to keep forever. Don't be fooled, verse 8, into thinking that you will never suffer because the temple is here. It's a lie. Do you really think you can steal, murder, commit adultery, lie, burn incense to Baal and all those other gods of yours and then come in here, stand before me in the temple and chant, we're safe, only to go right back to all those evils again? Don't you yourselves admit that this temple which bears my name has become a den of thieves? Surely I see all the evil going on in here. I, the Lord, have spoken. Basically what God is saying through the prophet Jeremiah is this. You can't cheat people, exploit foreigners and widows and orphans and think everything's cool just because you go to church. Just because you build a church. That's what they were doing. Well, we've got, we've got a temple. We're good. We're doing all these ungodly things in the temp, temple, in the church, but we're good because we're in church. Listen again to verses 8 through 10. Don't be fooled into thinking you will never suffer because the temple's here. Just because I go to church, everything should be great. He says, that's a lie. Do you really think you can steal, murder, commit adultery, lie, burn, incense to Baal, all those other new gods of yours, and then come in here and stand in my temple and chant, we are safe, only to go right back to those evils again. I don't want to drive this point too far home, okay? I'll just let you and the Holy Spirit deal with it. Like, we love everybody at the gathering. We love imperfect people because I'm an imperfect person. Being imperfect doesn't make you a hypocrite, right? But thinking that the only time I'm ever going to really worship God is in this service and then re live the rest of the week like apart from him and then think you're okay with that and he's okay with that, that's what he's talking about. Do you see, I mean like we just read it and go, wow, Jesus like threw out some people. No, no, he threw it out because, like, that's what they turned church into. I'll do whatever I want, God, but I'm here. Woo-hoo! Perfect attendance pin. He's like, I don't care about that. I don't care about that. That's how you turn a house of prayer into a den of thieves, by praying on the people instead of praying for the people. And what Jesus saw reminded him of the words, these words in Jeremiah, and that's why he drove them out. Again, you have the outer court for, like, women and children. And the poor women, could they buy a sacrifice? No, because they had jacked up the prices. So they're, they're not giving justice to the women, right? The women, they're mentioned specifically in Jeremiah. It's like, don't think you can cheat them 
and still be okay just because you come to church. And then we have the Gentile court. They can't even worship because the Jews have taken over their space and crowded it with a bunch of money changing. And he says specifically in here that foreigners are supposed to be accepted, not pushed aside. So when Jesus stepped into the temple, this is the passage that he's thinking of. He's like, hold up. I wrote something about this. We, this is in Jeremiah. Jeremiah talked about God. You gave this prophecy through Jeremiah. We knew this day was going to come. He saw it and he dealt with it. And so he just said, you turn it into a den of thieves. And the thing is, the people he said that to, they knew this passage as well. I'll just say, we don't have time to go here, but can we please not become what we preach against? Can we please as a church not become what we preach against? It's so easy to rail against stuff, and then we become that. So Jesus didn't just drive them out. Sometimes we are, especially if you're raised in church, sometimes we are the worst at stopping a bad habit but never replacing it with a good habit. Have you noticed that? Like the preacher's like, quit drinking. So you're like, stop drinking. What do I do instead? Smoke. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Like, chew. I don't know. We, like, we don't even know how. We just stop. He said, stop, so I'm going to stop. But we don't replace it. Like, he doesn't want you just to take off the old. He's giving you new, right? And so what I love about Jesus is he didn't just drive them out. He drove them out, and then he, he taught them something. Like, I don't want to just get rid of you. I don't want to just deal with culture vultures. I also want to show you how it was supposed to be from the very beginning. Have you heard the expression, out with the old, in with the? Okay, so let's just let's change that a little bit, okay? We'll put it the second point. Jesus said, out with the old, in with the original. Okay? And he, he took them back to Isaiah chapter 56. And he said, let me show you what, the, what it was intended to be. Let me show you how the temple was supposed to work. Isaiah 56, verses 1 through 8. Here's what it says. And I love this. Um, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. There's a heading over that says, blessing for all nations. You right there is your clue, right? The way the temple was intended to be was that all nations would be blessed. And here's what it says. 56 starting in verse 1. This is what the Lord says, be just and fair to all. Do what is right and good, for I am coming soon to rescue you and to display my righteousness among you. Blessed are all those who are careful to do this. Blessed are those who honor my Sabbath days of rest and keep themselves from doing wrong. Don't let foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord say, the Lord will never let me be a part of his people. Uh, just really quickly, jot this, this verse down. Um, we don't have time to dive into it, but in Acts chapter 15, the, the early church is trying to figure out what in the heck to do with Gentiles because they're not like Jews and they don't want to follow the Jewish customs. And here's what a wise leader in the church said, Acts 15, 19. And so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. You wonder where he got that wisdom? I'd say that he, st he spent some time in Isaiah 56. Verse 3, don't let foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord say, the Lord will never let me be a part of this family, of, this, of his people. So when they took over the Gentile court to start selling stuff, Jesus was like, uh, no, no, no. It's supposed to be a place where they're accepted in and welcome to the family, not pushed aside. And don't let the eunuch say, I'm a dried up tree with no children and no future. What an interesting sentence that is, right? Um, so eunuchs, uh, that's a good family lunch discussion. Y'all have fun with that. Eunuchs can't, can I just say this? Eunuchs can't give life. Kings 
who took over another country would, um, I'll just say some words and y'all can talk about them at lunch with your kids, would castrate men so that they could not then reproduce and raise up an army that might then revolt against the new king. So these men had been stripped of their ability to produce life. And I want you to know this, the temple that God envisions is a place that gives life to people who can't give life. He says this about the eunuchs. He says, don't let them think that they're just a dried up tree with no children and no future. For this is what the Lord says, verse 4, I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days holy and who choose to do what pleases me and commit their lives to me. I will give them, verse 5, within the walls of my house. Where? Church. I just love Jesus. I don't love church. That's not in the Bible, right? Right here it is. I will give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name far greater than sons and daughters could give. If you were a eunuch and you could not produce life, your family name died with you. And what did God say he would give them? a memorial and a name that would last forever, far longer. For the name I give them, the end of verse 5, is an everlasting one. It will never disappear. You can't reproduce. You can't have, you can't have generations coming behind you. Guess what? I'm going to make sure your name never disappears. I'm going to give you a name that lasts forever. I'm going to do it within the walls of my church. That's, Jesus is like, you've made it a den of thieves, but it was supposed to be this. You have jacked it up. You're culture vultures. I'm going to get rid of you. Verse 6, I will also bless the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord, who serve him and love his name, who worship him and don't desecrate the Sabbath day of rest. That's twice we've read about rest. It's important. And who hold fast to my covenant. Verse 7, I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem, and I will fill them with joy in, the, in my house of what? Prayer. He said, it's supposed to be a house of prayer. You've turned it into a den of thieves. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for how many nations? All nations. Not just Jew, but Gentiles. For the sovereign Lord who, who brings back the outcast of Israel says, I will bring others too besides my people Israel. The purpose of the temple was to give foreigners a family, to bring outcasts home, to give eunuchs a heritage that would never end. That was the purpose of the temple. And if, if you've been with us at the gathering long enough, the words we just read should remind you of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 18. Let me read it to you really quick. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews. It was not a good term. They didn't like them. Who were proud of their circumcision, circumcision, hard to say, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In other words, great job, Jews. You got circumcised, and it didn't change your heart. You're idiots. Who cares about the outside if the inside isn't changing? They were so proud of themselves, and they were like, let's make the Gentiles get circumcised too. We don't really care about their hearts. Let's just get them into our little system we have going on. And Paul was like, that's not the purpose, right? Verse 12, in those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Man, are you here today like that? Are you without God and without hope? Are you a Gentile wishing you had a family? Listen to what Paul says in verse 13. But now you have been united with Christ. 
Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. It sounds so similar to near God, near man, making disciples. Do you know why? Because this is the verse that is the mission of our church. That we were all far away, but now we've been brought near. And if I've been brought near, I have no right to say you can't come near to. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. That thing between the Gentile court and the Jewish court, gone. He don't want a wall there, right? He's like, Tar Heels and Blue Devils, get along. You're like, now you've gone too far, right? Now you go, I can believe for Jews and Gentiles, but forget that last thing you said. He did this by ending the system of law with his commandments and regulations. That's why we don't bring animals in here to sacrifice. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. Look at the person next to you and say, I don't hate you anymore. Oh, are you kidding me? I have preached my heart out for 25 minutes and I got, are you serious right now? I said, look at the person next to you and say, I don't hate you anymore. (laughs) If you couldn't say that with confidence, we might need to make sure you're saved. All right. Let's keep going. He brought the good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Jesus said, out with the old and in with the original. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. Now we got to wrap up quickly, okay? I know you're like ready to go. So if you're, um, let's, let's talk about the shift, okay? The way that the leaders were praying with an E, praying on the people was a far cry from what God intended. And so Jesus called the people to stop praying and to start praying, okay? So let's do the comparison chart. It's a whole thing. Let's do the whole thing, okay? So here we go. I've got to get through this quickly, all right? Um, praying on the left, that's what was happening in the temple, okay? I just want you to see this really quick. They were, they, when you pray, you prioritize men. What do I mean by that? They were like, well, the women and children, they're not that important. Gentiles, yeah, kind of like they're barely breathing. Jews, sweet. But the priest, awesome, really close to God. Like they prioritized people. See how, that, see how they did that? And Jesus is like, that's not what I came to do. I came to demolish the wall so everybody could be together. Blessings for all of the countries, all the nations. So they prioritized men. What's the second thing they did? They required of men. They set up systems and said, if you want to get in here, you better do this first. Now, we don't bring animals to church anymore, but come on, if you were raised in church, if you've ever been in church, and we try so hard not to be this way, but it's so easy to set up requirements. Oh, you feel called to serve the Lord. Well, you better start giving money first. Real Christians serve. Now, I do believe that real Christians serve. But if we set these up as requirements, you have to jump through these hoops in order to get something, then we're requiring of men. E, they extort from men. When you pray on people, you extort from And what were they doing? They were extorting. You better give me the amount of money I'm asking for if you want to have any shot at getting in those doors and worshiping. And then finally, why? They yield to no one. 
because it's their way or the highway. Now, they had turned it into a house of praying, and Jesus said, but it's supposed to be a house of prayer. So let's just talk through the right side. And listen, if you, how many of you struggle with prayer? Anybody? Everybody else struggles with honesty, right? So some struggle with prayer, most struggle with honesty, right? I mean, even this morning before church, and like usually on Sundays, I'm like, man, I can't wait to go preach. This morning I was like hanging out with Jesus, and it's like, man, this prayer thing is weird sometimes. It's like I'm just talking. Are you even listening? And sometimes you don't know what to say. Like, how do I pray? And so if nothing else, if you just get these four things on the right side out of the, out of the message, this will revolutionize the way that you pray, okay? Because that is actually the four-step process to spending time with Jesus right there. And if you go, like, to Luke 11, verses 1 through 4, Jesus taught them how to pray. It's called the Lord's Prayer. Also in Matthew, it's, it's in Matthew again. They have, like, dip, kind of like some similarities. Matthew's got a little bit more, um, a little bit more verses. That wasn't the word I was looking for, but, boy, that was awful. Anyway, let's just, let's just stay here. <laughs> just took me that long to get to that point. So, um, so praying. Here's what we know in the Lord's Prayer. And if you, how many of you know the Lord's Prayer? I'm not going to make you repeat it. You know it, right? I was raised Methodist, so I know the Lord's Prayer. And there ain't nothing better than sitting in a Methodist sanctuary and knowing that a bunch of S, like the S's are coming, those sounds, and hearing like a bunch of people be like, and forgive us, Lord, our trespasses. It was just like, I, I could count it. And like then all the S's were gone. I was like, oh, man, now it's going to be boring again. But anyway, you didn't need to know all that, but it went through my head and I had to say it. So praise God, Right? Praise God. That's how you start praying. You start with Him. God, you're holy. You're all, what is the, the Lord's Prayer says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy. You're holy. So you start there, right? And then the next step is you repent because when you see how great God is, you're like, holy cow. What did David say? Who is man that you'd be mindful of him? So you, God, you're, you're amazing. You're holy. Holy is the Lord. And then forgive us. Repent. And we would be so much better off in our prayer time if we just did those first two. We bust into our prayer time like, let me tell you what I need. And he's like, whoa, back up. That's three steps down the road. Like, let's go up top. Praise God. Repent. And then ask of God. He said, give us this day our daily bread. And I love the last one. When people that pray with an E on people they're like, I ain't budging for nothing. You do it my way or leave. But, man, when you spend time with God in prayer, there's no way to end that other than lead me and guide me in your path. You end up yielding yourself to God. And you know, what, you know why? Why did Jesus say that this was supposed to be a house of prayer? You're like, I know why, because he was quoting that other guy in the Old Testament. But why did he say it? I believe this, because there's not another Christian discipline that we need that will break down all the walls in our hearts so that we can accept people who are not like us. I don't really pray that y'all start serving. You know what I do? I pray that you would start hanging out and praying to God. Because if you pray to God, if, if this became a house of prayer, do you know what it would end up being? A house of servants. Because you're praying to the greatest servant ever, God, who loved the world enough that he sent his son, and his son came to serve and not be served. Like, you see what I'm saying? Like, when you spend time with him in prayer, 
then just naturally we are like, okay, God, I want to yield all that I want. I'm going to yield it to you. Use me however you want, God. Use me however you want. God knew that that's what we needed. When, listen, when we pray on men with an E, we impose what we want on them. But when we pray for men, we bring them what God wants for them. All it takes, listen, this is a harsh statement to end it with. All it takes for a house of prayer to become a den of thieves is to see that we're more important. That's really all it takes. Well, God, I'm the most important person here. We remove God from the throne and we put ourselves on it. But prayer changes that. It changes our perspective. I'm going to give you literally the longest big idea in the history of our church, okay? It is long, right? But I really want you to get this, okay? We'll leave it up on the screen a little bit so you can write it all down if you want to. With prayer. When we start with a high view of God, we end with an accurate view of ourselves. When we start with a high view of ourselves, we end with an inaccurate view of God. These men that were doing the money changing, they started with a high view of themselves. Well, it's all about me. I'm going to get my share. I'm going to cheat this lady. She's going to give me way more than she has to for this pigeon and this dove because that's what I deserve. And, and that's an inaccurate view. That's a high view of themselves. And you know what it led to? God's cool with it. He's cool with that. But he's not. But they justified it because they, they thought they were so great. And so God exists to serve them. But, man, when you start with a high view of God, praise God, repent before God, ask of God, yield to God. When you start with a high view of God, you'll always end with an accurate view of yourself. And it won't be, I'm just a worm and I'm no good. It'll be, no, I'm a child of God. He's my father. I can ask anything I want of him and trust him. God, when you think it's good for me to have it, or if you think it's good that I don't have what I asked you for, I trust you. I yield to you. And when you do that, you'll always end with an accurate view of yourself. Which is why the answer to people that are jerks, do you know those people? Is never just do more. Just do more, man. God, you, you need to serve harder. Give more money. No, the answer is you need to hang out with Jesus. You need to hang out with a God who is holy and reach down to save you. You need to hang out with a God who could have stayed far away, but he brought you near to him. Because when you hang out with that God, the result is a heart that is yielded to him and to the people that he came to seek and to save. So we got to wrap this up, okay? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes, and we're just going to walk through P-R-A-Y. It won't take long, okay? You can do it in your head. You can whisper it. But first thing I want you to do is I want you just to praise God. Just go ahead. Just praise Him for something specific about Him. Tell Him how great He is, how holy He is. How He's high and lifted up. How there's no God like our God. And in light of that, it's just when, you, when we lift him up and we exalt him, do you see how easy it is to step into repentance? Not because we have a, a low self-image, but because we have a high God image. And we see ourselves in his presence, in his light. 
And it becomes so easy. Suddenly, like, the Holy Spirit just brings things to our mind. Well, God, the way I spoke to that person yesterday, that's not like you. Would you just take a moment and repent before the Lord of the things that he's bringing to your heart right now? You see how it just naturally leads to asking? Because now we're not asking from a selfish motive for things because we've already laid that down. We've repented of that before the Lord. And instead, now we're able to ask, God, in light of who you are and in light of who I am, God, I bring these requests to you. I just submit them to my Father. What's on your heart right now? Healing? Financial provision? Relationship reconciliation? That I would understand the Bible more? That you would speak to me during the fast like you seem to be speaking to others? That you would provide me with a new job? Whatever it is. See how you can ask it now? And there's no, there's no fear of an agenda. It's just a child saying to his dad or her dad, this is what I need. And I'm just letting you know. And, and man, when we see how great he is and we've repented, we've asked the only logical end to that prayer is to yield to him. God, you have your way. However you choose in your sovereignty to answer this prayer, I trust you. I trust you. I don't have to, to beat people up, force them to give me what I need. And however you want to do it, God, I yield to you. Tell you, if you start doing that on a daily basis, here's what's going to happen. You're going to start leaving your prayer time and you're going to see people differently. So, Father, I just pray now as we leave, may you would, you would just stir our hearts for prayer. It's not a competition to see who can pray the longest or the loudest, it's just sons and daughters spending time with their father. And I thank you that you're an easy father to spend time with. And my prayer, God, is that as we, as we continue, God, you're shifting our house here into a house of prayer. As we shift, God, towards that. And my prayer is that we would always, in prayer, start with a high view of who you are. Because then we know it's going to end with an accurate view of ourselves. We don't want to be these religious leaders that preyed on people. Stole from them. God, we want to see the temple, the church. We want to see it become what we read about in Isaiah 56, what we read about in Ephesians chapter 2. Man, we want to see a place where, where women, children, foreigners, outcasts, all are welcome at the table in your temple. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.